Good morning, Impact Launch Team. How are you doing? Oh, come on. Good morning, one more time. A little better than that. That was worse. <laughs> well, we are just a uh, week or two. Actually, we're just a couple of weeks away from our grand opening as a church. And so this is one big, happy launch family is what we've got here. And so today we're going to talk about some things about being a family and belonging to a family that might be a little new to some of you and might be a little tough for some of you to hear. They're biblically grounded and they're very, very important if we really want to make an impact. But we're a family uh, at Impact, not just because I said so, uh, not because we just want to be, but because God said this about his church, the church is a family. He describes his church many different ways. He said the church is, uh, Jesus said, it's my bride. Jesus said, it's my body. Jesus said, it's a fellowship. But the most common expression to describe the church in all the Bible is family. Is family. Anyone here, raise your hand if you're not a member of a family. And, and by that, I mean you were beamed down by aliens. You know, you were, you were hatched in a giant egg from the planet Rom. You're like, are, anybody? No. Okay, so everybody's, and I'm, I'm not talking about orphans or anything. I'm not getting more, but I'm talking about you were born father, mother. I'm assuming we don't have fully test tube people here, but you were born father, mother. Everybody, you're a member of a family. I didn't say good or bad family. I didn't say family you love to death or a family you want to put to death. I didn't say any of that stuff, but you are a member of a family. It's, it's whether you like it or not. You just are. You might not even be a participating member. You might not even be involved with that family, but you were part of, biologically, a part of a family. Uh, but you wouldn't know it today, gang. Here's the problem in the church. The church is described as a family. We're all part of a family. When you look in the church, you would never know that. In fact, when you look at the American family, you wouldn't even know that. When you look at the, how the family has changed, you would think that, that being together and just this whole family atmosphere is something we sort of lost track of. In fact, I think in, instead of being part of a family, it almost feels like with churches today, people are part of a fraternity. You know, find a church you like, rush the church fraternity, get in the club and see what benefits there are for you. And once you do that and you pay some dues, everything comes your way. But gang, and I want you to write this down in your plenty of room all in notes. Put this down. We are called not just to believe, but to belong. We're not just called to believe, but to belong. Belonging always goes hand in hand with believing, and yet we've created this in probably the last 50 years in America. We've created this sort of get out of hell, free card, quick fix, free gift, no strings attached, no involvement, don't even have to mention God again, Christianity. You just hear about it, you raise your hand, you walk an aisle, you walk away, you live for the devil the rest of your life, and you'll get in. But that doesn't exist in the Bible. The Bible says when you join God's family, you're a son or daughter of the living God, and you're a family member, and there's some expectations and desires and, and changes that happen from within, and so if that didn't happen, the real question is, maybe you're not really saved. So I really want to take a look at what it means to be a member of God's family. See, the Bible's neither silent nor nebulous on membership. It's not silent. It's not like, where is this thing? But it doesn't, member, it doesn't mention it. So I've had people go, you're going to preach on membership. Show me the word membership in the Bible. Well, it's not in there. The word membership's not in there. But words that mean the same are in there aplenty. 
By the way, the word Trinity is not in there. And if you want to be an Orthodox Bible-believing Christian, you believe in the Trinity. You know why? Here's why I believe in the Trinity. Because the fact of the Trinity and allusions to the Trinity and flat-out descriptions of the Trinity are all over the Bible. They're all over the Bible. Think about some of them with me. When Jesus was baptized, right, by John, his cousin, in the Jordan River, do we not see the Trinity there? Some of you going, I don't know. Describe it a little more. But when he was baptized and he came up, the thunderous voice came from heaven, and it was God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Who said that? God the Father. About who? Jesus. So that's two right there, right? God and God. And then it says that like a dove, the Holy Spirit alighted on his shoulder. Who's that? Holy Spirit, Father, Son, right there. It doesn't say, and behold, the Trinity. That word's not there. But there it is. The Trinity is described in many, many places. The Trinity is described. And gang membership is described in even more places uh, of the Bible. But it's just not said flat out. But you can see how God not only mentions it in the Bible, but from Genesis to Revelation, he just builds on this whole theme of membership. Now, we have to get this because if you don't understand what it means to belong as part of a church, and we're not, we, we have no desire, I'll say it flat out, we don't want to just add another church. I just looked up my statistics. I used to say there's almost 1,000 churches in Charlotte and the surrounding area. I am wrong. It's now over 1,100. 1,100 churches. So we don't need Another church, we don't just need to assemble people to learn Bible facts and sing songs and go home. We don't need that. But if you really think about this honestly in your heart, we need a movement. I mean, we need a great awakening, don't we? Man, how long has it been since the second great awakening? Some of you are like, I didn't, I didn't know there was the first great awakening, but there was two of them. And it's been a long, long time since, the, since the, the country has just been gripped as a whole and realized we're far from God and that... Only life in him is how we can really thrive. So we need a great awakening. That happens with movements. Gang, you cannot be a movement, period, if you don't, under, if you don't belong to a local church. You can't hop around and sort of test out Christianity and kick the tires your whole life and hope to make an impact at the same time. It can't be done. So today we're going to get a little uncomfortable, which I enjoy, quite frankly, because I'm up here. Some of you squirm a little bit when you come here, but I, we're going to get a little uncomfortable. Then it'll get better after that. So no pain, no gain. So let's start with some of the things that the Bible teaches that aren't even possible without being a member of a local church. Things we have to be involved in, things we're called to do that you can't do. Hold on. You can read more about these from Gospel Light. These are places online that I look to, to grab more of these, just the highlights, Lifeway studies, and many other resources. But let me start with some of the more sobering ones. You may not like it, but I, I'm not going to really unpack these a lot. I'm just going to show you how these things described in the Bible would not be there if membership were not a fact. Okay, you with me? Because I'm going to get into some things, and as, as I mentioned, you're going to go, hey, what does that mean anyway? We don't have time. This is to prove memberships in the Bible. So the first thing is, the church is to, be, is to discipline its members. The church is to discipline its members. Church membership is implied by the way the church is supposed to, to discipline and keep in line and grow its members. Now, consider the implication. Write this down of Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Now, a lot of Christians know this text. They don't have any idea what's in it, but they love to throw it around. This is one of those famous things. How many times you hear Christians throw around, do not judge. Do not judge lest you be judged. Ask them where that is. They have no idea. Here's another one, Matthew 18. It's supposed to hold you accountable. It's what you offended me. Ask them what verses that is and what steps you're supposed to go through and what that's all about, and they don't know. They just know that you did something to offend them so they can get you. With but here's what it really is. It means that the church is supposed to discipline. And the final step here, the final court of appeal in matters of church authority, uh, 
is the leadership of the church, which requires a church, which requires membership. Now, granted, this seems foreign to a lot of us today. We look at this and we go, well, why would, that's not appealing. Why would I want to join based on that? Well, remember, this is not about why or why not. This is about membership being a fact. But it's, it's foreign to us because a lot of people don't even discipline their own kids. So we're going, I don't know if I want to be a part of something that disciplines. That's outdated. Didn't you know that, Pastor? You don't discipline your kids now. If they have a temper tantrum in the middle of the, of the mall and they throw themselves down and kick and scream and turn red, you just go, that's good, Johnny. Work it out. You just do it. No, that's not good. And so a lot of us have, have sort of chosen instead to go with sort of the, and write these down because I just made it up, Dora the Explorer Democracy or Romper Room Republic. It's either one of those. We go with that and we just say, you know, we're going to let our kids control. They're really just miniature adults. And we'll just let them kind of develop on their own. And we see in the last few decades how successful that has been as a country. Well, again, we're doing the same thing with the church. We're just saying, well, let's just pick and choose. I don't like certain things about the church. In fact, Pastor, if I'm really real honest with you, and please do, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't like. So what I've done is my Bible's not as thick as yours. My Bible's that thick. I've torn out all the pages of the things I'm uncomfortable with, and I have a new Bible. It's three pages long, and that's the one that I follow. But again, that one's not going to get you anywhere because it's all or none of it. All or none of it, including what we're uncomfortable with. But you'll find that the things sometimes that we're uncomfortable with, we just don't understand correctly. If we did, we'd thrive and we'd find joy in the Lord. Now, the Bible teaches in Hebrews, and I love this, that only a true and loving father disciplines their son. And only a real son is disciplined by the father. If you're not disciplined by your parents, in fact, the, the word there is bastard, your illegitimate son, if your father does not discipline you, you're probably not really a, a, a real son there. So a loving father doesn't just let his kids run wild. A loving father will check and balance and, and help them sand the rough edges off so that they can thrive on their own. And so God is more of a loving father because he disciplines, not less. So both nuclear families and God's family have discipline. But listen again, God's family takes it even a step further. Excommunication exists in the church. Some of you go, how many former Catholics we got here? Any former Catholics? Quite a bit. So you know about this because you're here. So you've been excommunicated. So you know <laughs> what excommunication is. Church membership is applied simply because, you know, like it or not, it's there. Paul implies this in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. So just write it down, look at, look at it later. Where he deals with the necessity of putting someone out of the church, he says, what have we to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, if you're thinking, man, excommunicating, that doesn't seem right. Well, this is a, a story. That particular story was about someone who was sleeping with their stepmother. Okay, so that seems pretty bad. So when you discipline someone over and over who's doing that, and they won't repent, and they won't get it right, Paul says, you've got to separate them out. And actually, the wording there says, deliver him over to Satan and let him do what he wants so his soul at least will be saved. So that's possible in excommunication because it goes a step further even than regular families. You can't excommunicate your children. Some of you might want to. You're going, give me options, Pastor. I have none. You can't do that. But in God's family, that can even be done. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but how can you excommunicate if you're not a part of something? So what this implies here is that there is a group that's in the church and a group, obviously, that's outside the church. Next, Christians are required to submit to their leaders in Scripture, just as, a, as sheep are, you know, if they want to stay alive, to a shepherd and as children are to their parents. Church membership is implied in the biblical requirement of Christians to be submitted to a group of leaders at a local church. Now, 
Some kind of express covenant, some kind of membership, something has to be there to hold people accountable to that. We'll be starting our membership class in September. And some of these things are going to be present on there, and I want you guys to be able to get ready and talk about these things. Now, consider the way the New Testament talks about the relationship of the church to her leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, give, who will have to give an account. And then the next one is Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. There's a lot of verses that make it really clear uh, that we're to submit to our leaders in the church. Now, you notice, I'm not making a whole lot of commentary on these. Again, I could, but we don't have time. Maybe another time I will. But right now, again, we're just trying to see that membership is all over, especially the New Testament. It's all over it. Letter D, if you're following along. Shepherds are required to care for their flock. Church membership is implied in the way the New Testament requires elders to care for the sheep. Now, of course, elders can extend their care and should to, the, to the, as much as their capabilities uh, allow to those outside and those we're trying to reach. And, you know, at Impact Church, we're trying to reach the lost. We're trying to care for our own. But there's, there's a beautiful sort of higher place that those within the church are given. And this is why we exist to, you know, show people the love of Christ by marking the body. That's us first. And then the community, and then the world, and then the future with the love of Christ. And so we start here because we're supposed to take care of our own sheep. If they're not strong, then we can't reach the world. So there's a proper order for this. And elders are those that have a special responsibility to care for a certain group. Now, some of you are going, yeah, pastor, and you haven't been over enough. This is where people like to get the one pastor. The average church in America grows to 80 people. It's about 400,000 churches in America. Most of them, like 90% average 80 people. You know why? Because that's how many people one man or one woman can care for by themselves. So when it says elders, plural, care for the sheep, it's not just talking about one pastor. That's more of an American business model uh, than it is a biblical model. So it doesn't mean the pastor does all the ministry. We're all, every member is a minister at Impact Church. In fact, I'm going to tell you what my primary role is. And I didn't make it up. If you want to write it down, it's Ephesians 4, 11 and 13, 11 through 13. Here's my primary role. It is to equip the saints for ministry through leading and teaching. It's equipping. It's equipping. Now, if we want to reach Charlotte and beyond, let me ask you, what's more powerful? 300, 600, 900 ministers sent out or one? That's a no-brainer, right? This is why the church is so anemic, because we follow a business model that says, well, I come and I sit and soak while you instill. I sit still while you instill in me, Pastor. You do the ministry, you marry, bury, and do everything else, and I don't, but that's not a biblical model. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. We're a family. We all serve. I'd be like having, a fam having eight kids, and one does the chores and does everything. That's called Cinderella. It's not biblical, all right? By the way, that makes you the wicked stepsisters if you do that. You don't want to be that. So... Let me ask you this. Maybe this will hit home here. Some of you go, move on. I'm uncomfortable here. Not yet. What's a better parent? The one who feeds their child, clothes their child, changes their child's diapers, bathes their child until they're 40, or the one who teaches their child to care for themselves, feed themselves, bathe themselves. Is that hard? What's a better parent? The helicopter parent who stays there till they're 40 and just says, I'm going to do all this. You'll never have to lift a finger. I don't want you to get it hurt, Johnny. I'll do all this for you. That's weird. That's strange. That's dysfunctional. No, the better parent is the one that 
teaches the child as early as possible to learn to do this. The best thing I can do for you all is teach you to be self-feeders. Self-feeders. Man, if you're not in God's word and, and praying and talking to him every single day, you're not going to grow as a believer. You could be that 40-year Christian that's still an infant in Christ if you're waiting on me to drag you along to spiritual maturity. All right, here's the next thing, the metaphor of the body. Church membership is implied in the metaphor of a body. 1 Corinthians 12 is one example of where it's at. The original meaning of the word member is member of a body. That's what it literally means, like hand, foot, eye, ear, that literal. That's the imagery behind the word member in the Bible. Verse 12 of that text. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ and his church. So the question this imagery raises for the local church that Paul's describing is, who intends to be treated as a hand here? And who intends to be treated as a foot or an eye or an ear of this body? There's a unity and organic relationship implied in the imagery of the body. There's something unnatural, and I want you to listen to this. Think about this, because as far as God is concerned and as far as his word is concerned, there's something strange. It's an oxymoron. It's unnatural. It doesn't work. About a Christian attaching himself to a body of believers and yet not being a member of that body. There's, there's something strange about that. Now, I know you hear that. A lot of us hear this in the Bible Belt, and we go, what's strange about that? It's normal. That's because church hopping is the, is the national sport. It's an Olympic sport in North Carolina, the Bible Belt. We love to go to and fro and not really belong anywhere, but get a little bit of the best from a lot of different churches. I've been in ministry as a pastor for over 20 years, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, a lot, but there's a lot of Christians that, that I've talked to that say, I love coming to hear you teach, and, and, I, and, and that's great, that's fine. They go, but I love the traditional music, so I go to this church for the choir. But then I'll rush across town and get your later, you know, oh, this is over the years, and, and listen to you teach. But sometimes when you get a little too close to home, a little too comfortable, I'll go over here near this person to teach and this music, and they're floating around all kinds of different churches. When you are supposed to belong to one local body. Some of you go, but that's so hard. It's so hard to pick. There's 1,100. You know why it's hard? Because you're looking for the perfect one. And that search will never end because there is no perfect church. All right, so I hope you are getting this. To become, to belong a part of uh, the body of Christ is an expectation that is for all believers. Not some, not most, but all believers. So, put that past. Hopefully I've made that case. For these five reasons and more, I believe the church membership can't even be argued with. I cannot believe there's even pastors that want to go in there. You know, I would like to argue that it's not required. I'd like to argue that it is. It's a no-brainer. That's like saying going out and witnessing is not required. It is. God demands it. He commands it. And to belong to a part of a local body is absolutely uh, a requirement that God has, belong to the church. Now, we can go on and on with this thing, but hopefully you've seen enough. We're called to belong. Yet the vast majority of Christians, here's the problem. They don't belong to any church. They're not members of any church. And I just told you, there's 1,100 churches, and I just told you what's really going on. So I know some of you are going, but, but Pastor Rob, this is not you know, like Seattle or something. A lot of people belong to churches here. I mean, don't most of the people go to churches? And this is the Bible Belt, right? Some would even say it's the buckle of the Bible Belt, that it's more Bible Beltish than any other place in the country. But listen, yeah, more people go to church here than, say, Vermont or Maine or something. But even those that go to church, a lot of them go to churches that don't teach the Bible. A lot of them go to churches that are very, very loose. A lot of them go to churches that are church in name only because they're 501c3, 
non, you know, they're tax deductible places, but they may teach flat out heresy. They may be cults. So there's a lot of things you put in, but Bible believing evangelical churches, you can take that number down quite a bit. And then, as I said before, you can take it down even more because a lot of people that are Bible believing evangelical Christians go to several churches. So they still don't understand what it means to belong. Now, that's a lot, right? Let me tell you why this matters. Because this past week I was reading uh, a statistic. It's, an, it's a book by Thomas Rayner, if you want to look this up. Tom Rayner, T-H-O-M, Thom, Tom Rayner, uh, called I Am a Member. And he makes this biblical ar- argument for membership, and he makes it quite well. But there is a statistic on here that, that to me was so alarming. Now, raise your hand if you're a parent. Let me see the parents in here. All right, that's a lot. So listen to this. About two-thirds of the builder, boomer and builder generation, those born before 1946 are Christians. That's good news, isn't it? That's a lot. But here's what I want you to get. Only 15% of the millennials are Christians. Those born between 1980 and like 2004, right in there. 15%. And that's the biggest generational disconnect in the history of our country. So something happened between the builders and the millennials that has never happened before. And there's a lot of blame to go. You can't argue with with, with facts. I'm talking about true Bible-believing, born-again Christians, 15%, that would identify themselves that way. And I've heard so many things, you know, when that fact is put out there, people say, well, that's secular culture for you. It's not our fault. Or that's godless politics. You know, it's the Democrats. It's their fault. Or the Republicans. Or liberal churches. Or uncaring pastors. Or hypocritical church members. And people definitely are blaming these. I've heard people blame these things. And all of them, or some of them. But I don't think it's, I don't think what's happened that's been the cliff that's that drastic is really those things. I think it's closer to home. I think it's probably more painful to look at than we think. The most likely culprit for the weakening of American churches, according to Tom Rainer, and I agree with him, is that a majority of Christians, and he says, quote unquote, Christians, have lost a biblical understanding of just what it means to belong, to really be a part of the body of Christ. We're not a part. We're taking what we like from God's word. We're, we're cruising into a church until they make us uncomfortable, and then we cruise to the next one until they make us uncomfortable. And then we, we just keep moving around, and, and before, you know, it's like hot potato with churches. As soon as we feel the heat, we toss it off to someone else. We don't want to land and feel uncomfortable. But that's what's developed an anemic and weak church in our country. We don't know what it means to belong. Now, I'll bet when, uh, if you've been with the launch team, raise your hand if you've been with this launch team more than a month. Let me see. That's a, that's a vast majority of you. Have you ever thought, now don't raise your hand on this next one, just think it again if you've ever thought. Have you ever thought, now what's with all those youngins on stage during worship? You've thought it, haven't you? I'm looking around for the 45-year-old. I'm not seeing him, Pastor. What's going on? I don't see myself represented. Well, gang, unapologetically, we're going after the millennials first. Not only, not only at all. But when there's this big of a disconnect, listen to what's going to happen. If only 15% of this upcoming generation would call themselves Christians, what's going to happen over the next generation to those 1,100 churches who don't take this serious? What's going to happen? They're going to close their doors as people age out. And in fact, it's happening right now. 4,000 churches a month 
in this country shut their doors. And this is only going to increase. You go, what about all the churches being planted? About 3,000 churches a month are being planted. Do the math. That's a deficit. They're going down. Not up. Most denominations are shrinking. Most churches are shrinking, or at least not even close to keeping up with how communities are growing around them. So we're going after the young people. Why? Because here's something I've learned. If you get the young people that parents are so worried about going off to college and, run, and walking away from God, if you get them, then you'll get their parents. You'll get their parents. Parents are easy. Lean forward. A secret for you. Parents, you guys are easy. You guys are really easy to get. Your kids are hard. You know why? They have a fake radar that's unbelievable. They've got this antenna going up, and when somebody's not being real, or they're trying to be ultra cool, or they're just trying to be their own, they just have a radar that is unbelievable. They can pick up on it, and they don't like it. That's probably one of the biggest reasons why only 15% of them identify as a Christian, because they think it's fake, they think that, that it's, it's put on, and they don't really see Jesus in it. That doesn't mean they don't want to see Jesus. Man, they do. In fact, it's alarmingly high how many, not alarming, I guess it's a good thing, except that it's not following Christ. But, a, but a, a vast majority of these same millennials would call themselves spiritual. So they're spiritual. They're just not Christian. Put that together. That, that's a crisis, isn't it? And so we are going to go after them. We are going to capture them because I want our church to last long after I'm gone. Long after you're gone. So we have a lot of excuses for not belonging. And we have a lot of excuses for the disconnect. And we have a lot of blame thing. But here's what I want to do for the rest of our time here today. Just put all that aside. We've made it real clear that the Bible says you gotta, you got to believe first, and then you have to belong. Believe and belong. It goes hand in hand. Having that established, let's take a look at what real membership actually looks like. Because I think our idea of membership and, and just that word and everything we joined today is completely different than what the Bible calls membership. So, not just believe but belong, but even that's not enough. We need to be, write this down, this is number one in the application part. We need to determine to be a functioning member. A functioning member. And for this to happen, we need to know what our function is, both corporately and individually. And then believe it, and then embrace it, and then live it. So you don't just sign up and go, I'm a member. How do you know? I got a card. I have a card I signed three years ago. It says I'm a member. There it is. No, it's more than that. Are you a functioning member? All right, first, the modern idea of membership has almost nothing in common with biblical membership. The word has all but lost its meaning. Today, when we join something, our first thought is, okay, well, tell me about it. Is it worth it? Let me hear the, the benefits. Let me hear all the things. That, let me hear what I have to do because I don't like to do a lot. I'll pay my dues, but I want to know what's in it for me. And that and God's economy really have nothing in common. Really have nothing in common. It's funny because we're after the same thing. Even if you look at our Declaration of Independence, we want happiness. Anybody here have as their goal to be miserable? If I watch some of you, I think it's your goal. But it's probably not your written goal to just go, man, I really want to be unhappy and I'm struggling with that, Pastor. Teach me, how can I be miserable? No, everybody wants to be happy and that's okay. That's a, that's a worthwhile goal, right? But the world's got one way that's a, a lie. It's like a carrot on the end of a string and you, you grab it and you cannot reach it. And God's got another way and it's counterintuitive. It's 180 off of our way. It's upside down. It doesn't seem right, but I promise you because God is good and perfect and cannot lie. If you try his way, you'll find that joy. But it's crazy. It's going to seem upside down. So today when we join something, we, we want to know what's in it for us. I remember, how many of you ever played fantasy football? Admit it. How many of you are going to play again this year? And your wives don't want you to. 
I mean, it's starting up in a couple of weeks. I, I don't play anymore, uh, but I used to play. I remember, I was thinking back this week of things, silly things we joined. And I remember there was a couple different fantasy football leagues that I wanted to join. And I started interviewing the potential commissioners. Like, well, listen, if I join your league, like, I'm going to give anything to them. You know, I'm just a player. It only costs like 10 bucks to join the thing. Uh, are you going to keep up with this thing as a commissioner? Are you going to allow me to make late trades? Are you going to allow anybody else to make late trades? Are you going to crack down on cheaters? I mean, I'm interviewing them, and, and they're probably sitting there going, I'm not, I don't want to play with you even if you pay me 100 bucks. You know, but what am I doing? I like fantasy football, but I want to know which one's the easiest one, where I can just do my thing. It's fantasy football. and What exactly do I contribute in that? Now, closer to home, uh, I'm a member at the Siski YMCA, and uh, you can probably tell. And so yesterday, stop. Yesterday, I went there to work out, and, and I, I was working at, at the church office. Yes, we have church offices now. A little bit late, and so I, I went over to the Siski to work out, and I start working out, and I got to swim in, and I noticed the place is clearing out. I'm going, undedicated wimps. I'm going to stay with this thing. But it was getting close to six, and then they told me to clear out. Well, I was a little bit perturbed. Obviously, I'm not much of a Saturday. Oh, what kind of places? We pay our dues. And actually, we don't. My wife, my wife teaches aerobics there. I'm not even sure we pay to be a member there. But I'm thinking, why won't they stay? I want to work. Who quits working out at 6? It's ought to be open until midnight so I can. So what am I thinking? I'm thinking like a, a, an American consumer. Thinking, you know, I, we pay our dues, so it's all for us. Join the Y and you want to know, what are the hours? Can I use the pool? Is it crowded? Is it expensive? Are there towels? Personal training? Staff always on call? Convenient hours? Treadmill's broken? Who's going to fix it? It's me, 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 right? Country club's even worse. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but join a country club. It's, can I bring a guest to use all the stuff for free? Does this membership include green fees, golf cart? How about tennis lessons? Discount on clothes and sports in the uh, sports shop? How about access to the bar, restaurants, grill at the pool? How about swimming? Can I get swimming lessons? How about is there a certain income level that you let in here or not in here? Is there, do you see what they have? Let's cut to the chase. What do all those have in common? I mean, if you were awake, what do all those have in common? Well, they're all about what we get, right? They're all about what's in it for me. There's really next to nothing about what do I give? What do I contribute? And that's the biggest difference between membership in the Bible, as it's described, and membership in just so many things today. So contrast it with biblical membership, and you're left scratching your head because you're going, that, there must be something different. It is different. Biblical membership's more like a, a strong nuclear family. We all have a role to play. We all have work or chores to do. We all are expected to respect each other. It doesn't mean it always happens perfectly, but in a, in a good family, it happens. We all defend one another. We love each other. We celebrate each other's successes, and we mourn with each other and weep with each other like Ecclesiastes 3. You know, we celebrate birthdays, graduations, marriages. It, it's, everybody's together and serving and putting the other first. I get it. Now, some of you are thinking of your own family going, that doesn't describe my family at all. But it should. It should. And that's what God means for it to be. So biblical membership takes it even a step further than what I just described. Because we not only do all these things I mentioned, but all that we do focuses around not just others, but first and, and foremost, Jesus. Everything we do at Impact Church in order to make an impact has to center around the person of Jesus Christ. And then others, and then finally ourselves, to really find that joy that we're after. Now, where do I get that? I get that from Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the main objective, this is the great commandment. So the highest commandment is to love God first and bring glory to him. So isn't that interesting that love's a command? It's funny, when I counsel sometimes people in, in marriage counseling, I go, I just don't love them anymore. <laughs> I just don't love her anymore. I always go, good, that doesn't matter at all. Irrelevant. It's not a feeling. You're not Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie. You don't get to quit whenever you want. Love is not a feeling. Real love is a decision. Otherwise, God wouldn't command it. He's not saying, I command you to get butterflies in your stomach. Now, go. Can't do it. I'm mad at her. They're not coming. It's not feelings. The cool thing about when you do things God's way is a lot of times feelings are a reward and they do come. But you can't feel your way into an action, but you can act your way into a feeling. Almost every time. So what secular membership, I ask you, has anything in common with what I've described about the church? And you see the disconnect? By the, answer, the, way, by the way, the answer is none. None of them do. They're completely, utterly different. In fact, let me put it to you this way, and then we'll move on from this. You know how to remain a member of a country club? You just pay your dues. That's it. You pay your dues, your membership fees, do that, and people will be available to serve you. That's it. It's pretty simple, right? Do you know how to remain a biblical member of a church family? It's a little bit different. Give abundantly and serve without hesitation with joy. That's how you remain a functioning biblical member of God's family. So you see, they're so different. How are we going to get this when we're thinking with the world's mind here? We have to think with the mind of Christ. By the way, in that second one there, the key word is biblical. How do you be a biblical member? See, because you can remain on the rolls of many churches and never show up or give. I have seen that over the years. You can say, yeah, I'm a member of so-and-so. I haven't seen you. Well, I was there three years ago. I'm a CEO Christian, Pastor. You should know that. Christmas and Easter only. That's what I am, CEO. And you can even be a revered member in a number of churches by giving a nice chunk of money each year. Even though you never lift a finger to serve in ministry. But that kind of membership, gang, it's just not in here. That kind of membership's not in here. And that elusive joy and that, that sense of belonging and that wanting to be so much part of a family and going deeper, you'll never Find it with the world's twisted version of membership. And we are a church that, that makes no bones about it. We're a launch team that wants to be a movement. We want to make a mark. We want to make an impact. We want to see lives changed. And unless we truly belong and sell out, as it's not going to happen. So that's why we're building this foundation with just a couple of weeks to go before we launch. Now, as I say this to some of you, you're going, this is a little bit tough. This Christianity thing. I mean, it's, it's not effortless like I thought. Didn't Jesus say, my burden is light, my, my yoke is easy, follow me and all that stuff? Yeah, but he also said, take up your cross daily and follow me. How do those go together? Well, you know what he said? My burden is light. My yoke is easy. And yours can be easier because he'll lift it. He will come alongside you as a believer and he will help you lift that cross daily. But if you try to lift it yourself and take it up, you're going to feel the weight of that cross. Try to take it up and just be mad at God and live alone or live a lone range of Christian. You'll feel the weight of it and you'll go, this burden is hard. But if you walk with him, he will help you lift it. And it won't be easy, but it will be lighter. His burden is light. But man, this idea of following Christ, he says, he makes it so plain in his word, count the cost, which means 
there's a cost to being a true follower. And one of my favorite books that's come out in the last couple of years is Fan or Follower by Kyle Eidelman. And if you follow me, uh, you know, last couple of years, I've taught a lot of things like that because Jesus never, never came looking for fans. Jesus isn't trying to build his Facebook. He's not trying to get a high Twitter thing. If he were to come today, he could care less about that. They probably would be high because people want to follow him. But he wants true followers, not fans, followers. Not fans, and there's a difference. Belonging, you are a follower. Okay, so I didn't say it was easy. I want to be fair with you. I want to be honest. Never said it was a cakewalk. But nothing, nothing worth doing, gang, ever is, right? Nothing worth doing ever is. When it came to living the Christian life, Jesus said, we need to take up our cross daily, and it sounds difficult. So I was looking at this clip from a movie the other day, and it may be difficult, but yes, it's very, very impactful. Take a look at this. In accordance with President Lincoln's wishes, you men are advised that the Confederate Congress has issued a proclamation. It reads, any Negro taken in arms against the Confederacy will immediately be returned to a state of slavery. Any Negro taken in federal uniform will be summarily put to death. Any white officer taken in command of Negro troops shall be deemed as inciting servile insurrection and shall likewise be put to death. Full discharges will be granted in the morning to all those who apply. Dismissed. If you're not here in the morning, I understand. You want that blue suit? Sir, 
Farmed and ready, sir. How many are left? As I said, gang, freedom's worth it. Anything worth it has a cost, though. From here to there, there's a cost for freedom. So membership is biblical, logical, and even commanded. It's God-focused and other-focused. Now, I have these pledges that are in here, and all I want you to do is take a look at them this week. Next week, I may do something more with them. I may have cards for all of us, but these are pledges that unless we think this way, the way that God thinks about membership, we're not really going to understand or feel the joy of what it means to really belong to part of God's family. The first pledge, and they all start like this, I'll be a functioning church member. I'll be a functioning church member. I like the metaphor of membership. It's not membership as in a civic organization or a country club. It's the kind of membership given to us in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Because I am a member of the body of Christ, I must be a functioning member whether I'm an eye, an ear, or hand, as a functioning member, I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study, show myself approved. I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And I thought, man, I'll just introduce these things this week because they're not easy with the way the world thinks. It might be quite an adjustment for a lot of people. And I'd love for you to think about this and come back next week, hopefully as many people as are here this week, or more, and be ready to pledge to these things. Now let's look at the final thing. Functioning member, and then this, uh, this week the final thing. I'll have the last three things next week. The last thing today is determined to be a unifying member. It's not just enough to be a member and then be a functioning member, because you could be functioning poorly. So part of functioning in a healthy way is to be a unifying member. Now, this is embarrassingly obvious, you would think. But again, when you look around, you would think that we don't even get this. How do we learn how to value unity? How do we make unity of value at Impact Church? In fact, do you know how you can value anything? You know what the best way to, to really come to, to value something is? Lose it. I mean, if you've got something that means a lot to you and you misplace it, like maybe you have some jewelry or a wedding ring or something, you misplace it, all of a sudden when you're looking for it and you think it's gone forever, it's all of a sudden more valuable, isn't it? Because it's lost. So you know who values unity the most? Those who have experienced disunity. And a lot of people who value marriage the most have experienced the pain of divorce. You know what it's like to have things torn apart, so you protect it, and you want it there. Unity is huge in God's word. I want to skip ahead a little bit. Recently, I... I feel like I intercepted a top secret message from God. Probably meant for an angel, but I got it anyway. Want to hear what it is? You don't seem ready. Don't even seem awake, to be honest. Here it is. It's going to seem deep, but track with me. Apparently, God desires for Christians to get along. There it is. 
In fact, he is rather insistent upon it in his word. In fact, most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy... But that's not the Lord's Prayer. We call that the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Do you know what prayer that is? That's the disciples' prayer. Because the disciples once asked Jesus, we're having trouble with prayer. We don't really know how to do it. Teach us to pray. And he said, here's how you should do it. So here's how you should do it. But if you look at John, I think it's 17, you'll find Jesus' actual prayer. It's almost the whole chapter. It's beautiful. And there's one theme that just keeps coming back over and over and over and over again. You know what he keeps begging his father for? Lord, make them unified. If, this, if they ever get together and really love each other because the mark of a true Christian is love, they'll be an unstoppable force, Lord. Protect their unity. Make them unified. Make them one. That's the Lord's prayer. In fact, John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are truly my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is huge. Ever seen a sports team where a few hot shots try to do everything or one hot shot? You ever seen that? You know, they got a whole team, but one guy's a ball hog trying to, never seen that? Two words, Kobe Bryant. Never seen that? Okay. Out. I'm from LA. I'm a Lakers fan, so I can pick. All right? I mean, but when you get one person who's trying to do everything, you don't have team stuff, even more importantly than a bunch of having talent and ability on a team is having unity. I mean, if a team is working together, then they're probably going to be a lot better than even if they have one hot shot or even two or three hot shots among five who are trying to sort of be ball hogs. Talent's important. Ability's important. Unity and working together, far more important. Likewise, when church members don't work together, the whole church is weaker. The whole church suffers. But when they do work together, they can make an impact. They can make a deep, deep dent for Christ. Unity is vital to a movement of God. And that's why all of us have to contribute, have to work towards. The idea in, the, in Scripture is work at unity. So it takes work. Now, I'll give you a couple of th- ways that you can work at, at unity, and then we'll close with that. Here, here's a couple ways that you have to determine, some things you have to determine not to do because they hurt unity, all right? Ter- determine never to be a divisive force, not for the following reasons even, not for the sake of letting leadership know what's really going on, that doesn't count, not for the sake of making sure those rotten sinners are taken care of, I don't know if you're aware of this, Pastor, but so-and-so, not for the sake of that. Not for the sake of making sure everyone else is aware of everyone else's deepest, darkest struggles, but not yours. Not for the sake of getting your own way. Love doesn't seek its own way, 1 Corinthians 13. Not for the sake of getting noticed. Not for the sake of being treated fairly. There's never a good reason for disunity. Never. And divisive behavior. Even if you're using divisive behavior to get to unity, impossible. That road doesn't lead to it. So those are the nevers. Now, please don't hear me saying that what, what Jesus is really after is everybody to be alike. Listen, if two of us are exactly the same and have the same responses all the time, one of us isn't necessary. God made everybody unique and diverse, but it's unity in that diversity that's a beautiful thing. Not a Stepford church where we're all robots and think alike, but unity in spite of the fact that we're all different. That's what's beautiful because the world looks at that and goes, that can't work. But in Christ, it does work and works powerfully. Now, Where's this in a priority? I already told you what Jesus did in his prayer in John 17, but listen to what Paul says. He says, this is Colossians 3.14, above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Two words there, above all. See, I'm not not slick enough to figure out what the priority list is, but when somebody says, somebody like Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived, says above all, that's my clue that it's above all. 
That's my clue that it's important. It doesn't get much more important than that. So how can we help with unity? I'll give you two things this week. And one of them, number one, is probably the most powerful thing any church can ever do for unity. See gossip the way that God does. See gossip the way that God does. How does God see it? He hates it. See, in Proverbs and in the Psalms, God lists seven things that he hates. And there are sins, I promise you, pet sins you and I have that don't even make the list. But gossip does. Gossip makes God's top seven list. He hates it. Why? Because the power of the tongue, according to James, is like can set a whole forest on fire. It's like a little match. It can just set everything. It's powerful. And the tongue destroys churches more than if, if it were illegal to worship God in this country. We couldn't even assemble. We'd still find a way in love and unity. But if a group comes inside a church and wants to tear it apart with their tongue, they'll probably pull it off. So see gossip the way that God does. And number two, forgive others. You want unity in a church, man, if we get those two things down, we'll be unified. We'll be a movement. We'll be more than a church. So here's that second pledge and we're done. I am a unifying church member. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep his church in unity for the ultimate sake of his gospel. That's a beautiful thing to see a church completely diverse and completely united on mission for God. That's what impact is right now. I hope we never lose that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're building here. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to be much more than a church. And in fact, Lord, just as you, you don't want fans, but you, you call people to follow, Lord, you never walked along the shores and said, sign this paper and be part of my group. You never walked along the shores, even if it would have been today. You would not have gone to our place of business or to our schools and said, join my Twitter account. Make sure you sign up for Facebook. God, you just have never cared about that because you know that if you don't get all of us in complete commitment and really belonging, that you get none of us. That's just the way we are. We're either sold out to you or we'll put someone or something else on the throne of our heart. So God, help us to know that that throne of our heart is only built for you and anything else that, that sits there, anyone else that sits there besides you doesn't help our life but ruins our life. And God, I pray that as we come before you now and worship you in a completely different way, Lord, with our tithes and offerings, please help us to reach deep in our heart and realize that part of taking up the cross even is to care about this church and the overall mission even more than ourselves. Help us to know that all good things we have come from you and to give back to you, Lord, of our tithes and offerings so that we can do all the things you've called us to do, especially to be ready on August 25th. When the doors of this church open to the public, and we hope and pray that they'll see something different. We hope and pray that the lost will be drawn to this, Lord. Each and every week, they'll see you. They'll encounter your son, Lord Jesus. That is our hope, and that is our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. See you next week.